Hello, and welcome to Chicago and into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley, and I'm not in Chicago. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. I am. Well. Come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> hey, there are new Pokemon games out. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. You and I have them. We've been playing them. You did a stream yesterday. I made a video the day before that. I've played a lot of these games already. Interestingly, you and I, was it the last episode? I think we talked about it and we were like, we're kind of excited, but maybe not so excited about them. I will say top level. I love Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I love I love them. Yeah, I will say this. I agree with you. And I'm going to add an addendum that Pokemon has simultaneously become my favorite and least favorite series to talk about on this show. (laughs) Because what's interesting to me is that we've been doing this show since 2018. And I feel like since then, especially, Mm. there has been a sentiment for every new Pokemon game before it comes out. You know, I feel like Pokemon is one of the largest ips on the planet it's got a huge huge fandom and i think by extension of that whenever a group of fans is that big you're gonna get like more negativity even if it's like a fraction of one percentage of the actual fans yeah just because there's more people generally speaking the more people love something the more they'll turn inwards and eat themselves alive until they hate it exactly (laughs) go to go to reddit.com slash r slash apple and you'll see people who hate apple more than anyone else in the world sometimes it's especially bizarre because i think like for pokemon as a series You and I have covered all of them. I don't think that's hyperbolic. On this show, I think we have talked about... We've probably talked about all of them at this point. Basically all of them. Maybe not like extended segments about all of them. Yeah, I don't think there's like a yellow bonus, but I feel like, you know, there's... (laughs) We, we have bonuses about Red and Blue, about yeah. Crystal. We've talked a lot about Gens 3 and 4 on the Game Boy Advance and yeah. DS episode. And we've also been fans for life. I mean, this this series yeah. is linked to our childhood in ways that cannot be separated. And I, I love the series. And honestly, like I've enjoyed every game at a pretty base level. You know, in, in game development, there there's a thing called prototyping, where essentially, like, the core idea of a game is tested without any consideration of how it looks or how it sounds. It's just like, does this idea fundamentally work as a game? And I think Pokemon as a series, like, even if everything else is a mess, which we'll get to in a second... It's going to scratch an itch because it's Pokemon. Like, it's going to do the thing you want it to do at a certain level. Yeah. That being said, I think while you and I have enjoyed all of them, there is plenty to critique. And I think this series is so beholden to the multimedia empire around it that the games often don't have a chance to really, no pun intended, evolve past a certain point. Mm -hmm. You can really feel that in the DS era, which we recently covered. Because honestly, like while Gen 1 is a mess by today's standards, for the games that were coming out on the first Game Boy, that game is wildly ambitious. And the same can be said for Gens 2 on the Game Boy Color, using every possible feature of the hardware to make that game what it is. Yeah. And also on Game Boy Advance, the way that Sapphire and Ruby and Emeralds look on the Game Boy Advance, even compared to some of the best looking games on that console, which have all aged beautifully, it's still so impressive. I streamed a bunch of that game back when we were talking about Game Boy Advance stuff, and like I was constantly in awe of like reflections in the water, like ash falling from the sky. There's yeah. so much identity in that game visually. I felt spoiled in a way 
growing up playing Ruby and Sapphire and Emerald, yeah. thinking that this is what most games on the Game Boy Advance looked like. And it wasn't until we started gearing up to do the Game Boy Advance bonus that I was like, oh, no, this is actually just like wildly special on this yeah. platform. There are obviously games that look good and better, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, they were really firing on all cylinders and using that hardware to the best of their ability. Exactly. But I think once the DS rolled around, I'm not saying that that Gens 4 and 5 are bad. I honestly really like them. I think Gen 4 was a blast because it was the first one you could play online. And yeah. Gen 5 had some really cool ideas and some of my favorite Pokemon designs like Garboder. Yeah, and you could go to New Jersey. You can go to New Jersey. So like when <laughs> if something is set in New Jersey, FF7, Pokemon uh-huh. Black and White, I am going to love it. <laughs> so <laughs> But I feel like even the least unhinged Pokemon fans Mm -hmm. from the very beginning of the series, the way the games are structured, the way that from Gens 1 through honestly, potentially even into the 3DS era, there is enough that is not done visually that the games are constantly asking the player to fill in the blanks a little bit. Even once we got to X and Y, which was like so amazing at the time because it's like, oh my God, I can run diagonally. Yeah. Every Pokemon is 3D animated. There was still this idea and this like unsaid wish from everyone of like, what if they made Pokemon on the console? That idea (laughs) has fermented and now been corrupted for the last 20 years. So I feel like once you got to the Switch and once they announced Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, a cute game for kids, people lost their fucking minds. And like all of a sudden that two decade long wish became like YouTube screaming contests. And like that game was totally fine. I thought it was really cute. Honestly, there's a lot of really cool ideas in that game. If you judge it by its own intention and not as you know the definitive next step for pokemon i think you're gonna have a great time and honestly once we got to sword and shield which was even more outlandish like that game has plenty to critique but i thought it was also totally fine like there were some cool ideas there and honestly i feel like in the switch era of pokemon while a lot of the games have been more hit or miss all of them are doing like they're trying out bigger ideas than we have seen in the last two handheld consoles honestly like sword and shield had really interesting ideas with you know making the gyms this like fifa league the wild Mm -hmm. area was a really interesting idea that didn't fully come to fruition but they were testing out like what if there was a zone in pokemon that was not tied to the linear progression but was this like kind of organism of itself that you could explore and do raids of friends and rcs i think has been the biggest leap so far and i think that's probably been better received than sword and shield and let's go but even then you know i think like there's there's cool ideas in all of them which leads us to scarlet and violet which i think in theory what this game is trying to do and what it often does successfully this should be my favorite pokemon game which makes me feel really frustrated because i think there's so much charm and there's so many cool ideas in this game and it feels like the perfect harmony of what was learned from the successes and failures of rcs and sword and shield but i'll say it this game runs like complete shit and it can't be ignored and like that shouldn't be it's not something i want to dwell on because the internet has done enough of that already but i can't not point it out because like it is the worst running switch game i've ever played and yet i'm saying that it should be my favorite pokemon game so there's like 
two forces inside my brain that are like i can't really recommend this game on a on a overall level to people because like i think at a certain point like spending 60 dollars on the new pokemon game and getting a game that looks and runs like this even if you're not like an unhinged fan that is disappointing to a lot of people you know and like that is a big investment for something that may not meet your expectations however i think like the game itself and what it's trying to do is so charming and so cool and there's a lot that you and i will talk about in this section that we really love that like i am really enjoying it despite everything which leads me back to the prototype idea of like at the end of the day this game is not finished they were not given enough time or resources to finish this game and that's especially frustrating given this is the highest grossing franchise on the planet and yet the games are not prioritized to the same level as the other parts of the media franchise and that's unfair to the people working on the game because you could tell the vision they had for this was not met and that's really sad because i think there's so many moments where i'm like either experiencing what they wanted me to and i'm having a great time or i can see what they wanted me to experience and that's that's kind of heartbreaking so i i feel i feel very strongly about this game in both ways but ultimately i am having a lot of fun with it but i struggle on whether or not i can recommend it because of those things and i picked quaxley who's a little <laughs> duck with a pompadour um no I, I i agree with everything that you said yeah i i think we haven't said it outright in a while so it's, al- it's always worth like level setting about into the aether because a lot of people have joined over the past couple months or whatever but into the aether exists as a way for us to bring games to the show when we like them yeah um but that doesn't mean that the games we like are devoid or immune from criticism and this is like maybe the the best ever poster child for like what our whole show is about um in a way because it is it is a game that i love dearly and i think could end up by the time i'm done being my favorite pokemon game like i think that that's in the cards still but i agree with you there are moments where i'm like i I think i texted you at a certain point i was like i'm riding the like traversal pokemon through the rain at night through a city that has all these bright lights all over the place and i tried to jump and the game froze and then like needed to compute where I was going to land before I landed. And that that is not infrequent. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing about this game is you and I have talked a lot on the show about games that, you know, a lot of people will like point out, oh, you know, there are frame rate dips. It's not at a locked 60 frames per second, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or like this game needs to be 60 frames per second, but instead it's 30, but it's like at a locked 30, but like people are still upset. Things like that. You and I generally don't really care about yeah. that much. There are certain games, obviously, where like higher frame rates are better things like that like like a like an elden ring or something you would want that running at like a high frame rate so you would be able to you know judge when you're gonna attack or get attacked but generally speaking my whole thing is if the game is fun and like the world is charming and the characters are good and the music hits etc etc i'm gonna have a good time even if the performance is pretty rough this game pushes that mentality to its absolute breaking point because there there have been things that there are things that are happening on a constant basis that are inexcusable and then there are things that are happening occasionally that are even worse so like i think one of the biggest examples is when you're running through the world you can throw your pokemon out and just get into a battle very easily and at the end of that what'll generally happen like usually usually what'll end up happening is my pokemon will be standing there victorious floating about three feet off the ground the camera will be clipped through the the bottom of the ground and i'll see just like an empty void of space below it and that happens like 
I would say five out of every six times I'm in a Pokemon battle um, where just like the camera doesn't know where to go. My Pokemon is like clipping into the air or something and my character has gone missing for some reason or like a Pokeball is like floating in the air or something like that. There is a version of this that's like, oh, you and I love Oblivion. We love Skyrim. We love weird bugs in video games. These are not like the fun Oblivion bugs. This is not like a guy, you know, instead of walking towards you is like T-posing and like hovering through the air like Thanos towards you and then goes, hello, you know, like this is not that kind of fun. This is like, oh, this is just broken, unfortunately. It really ruins some moments. I mean, so I, I streamed the opening hours of this game and honestly in that stream, I was really positive. I was having a great time and, and there weren't really that many big issues the opening of this game is like solid enough that you might even wonder what people are talking about like occasionally yeah. the shadows will turn into squares like okay fine I, right. can, I can look past that then you get to the open world and you know when you're in a town anyone who is outside of your tony hawk pro skater one draw distance they will be operating at like one frame per second and you know that's not a deal breaker like monster hunter rise probably one of the best looking and performing games on switch yeah also cuts corners in that way where like they want to make sure when you're fighting a monster that it's as smooth as possible so if you see like pterodactyls in the distance they're going to be in powerpoint land and that's yeah. fine I, I it never got in the way of my enjoyment this game that will happen to people like walking alongside you it will happen in people in class with you for example the scene the game is takes <laughs> yeah. place in this uh, academy naranja academy and it's honestly a great setting i think it's such a great fit for pokemon to have like an academy setting i'm amazed it took this long honestly yeah it's yuva academy and violet also or Uva. I didn't realize that there were different names. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, you're in the class and they're like, oh, there's a new kid. It's Steven. And a lot of the kids at their desk are kind of like kicking their feet and nodding their head. And they are all going at like five frames per second. So it looks like the Renala Queen of the Full Moon boss fight where all the like, <laughs> students are crawling on the floor. Like, yeah, like, it was it should have been this. And the thing about this game is that I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really like the story. It's I awesome. really like yes. the characters. <laughs> this is the most gripped I've been by a Pokemon game in a long time. The framing device of you're just like a kid entering this academy you meet this character named Nimona who is the class council president and like is framed as your rival but is also taking you under her wing and she's a great character I really like the dialogue with her like she's a great way to sort of have a character be a tutorial but she also has like characteristics and a story that are being foreshadowed with her teaching you the ropes I would argue that she's the best written character in any of these games yeah. <laughs> like I, I agree yeah. yeah she is so immediately interesting and like I think it's fun that she has like an edge and that she's like obsessed with battling and clearly isn't prioritizing other things which is a classic rival trait yeah but yet like she has your back and she like wants the best for you and is pushing you to succeed yeah she wants you to be better to make her better which is I think like such a classic like Rocky Balboa move you know is like I'm, I'm gonna take you under my wing and I'm gonna beat the shit out of you until you start beating the shit out of me <laughs> and that's that's how I know I've succeeded and what I'm really enjoying is just like that is the setup of the story it's like you're just like everyone has dreams that are very like somewhat grounded for Pokemon so I think the, the thing about these games is like I've never really wanted a great story out of Pokemon and I have never gotten one uh, usually <laughs> the best thing you can hope for in these games is good atmosphere but like they have really so strongly been beholden to pick a starter you have a rival 
who started off as a mean guy and then became a group of friends who just wanted to lose in X and Y. Mm-hmm. There's a team. There's God who you catch before or after beating the team. You fight the Elite <laughs> Four. There's someone's PC who is named later when you meet them. That somehow became a recurring beat. I said this before. I'll say it again. It's bizarre. They were beholden to that as like yeah. a key element of Pokemon <laughs> storytelling. And like this could be fun. We've often compared Pokemon to Dragon Quest in that you know there is play for a series that kind of doesn't want to deviate too far and there's comfort in getting a similar experience each time Mm -hmm. i also think there's an element too where like it's the classic case of both can be true where pokemon i think a lot of people have wanted change for a long time but there's also it's such a big series and it's allowed everyone to have their own vision of what Pokemon should be in their heads. There's no consensus of like, what do you actually want? Yeah. You know, and that's why I think so many people are so unhappy all the time because like everyone has built up what Pokemon should be in their heads that it's impossible to make everybody happy. It's the same exact thing that happened with Star Wars, where it's like you can never make a Star Wars movie that makes everyone happy because everyone has spent the last three decades imagining what it is in their head. And that's not like inherently a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when it becomes like toxic and you're like demanding things be the way you want them to be. Right. You know, or like throwing people under the bus who have like no say in the matter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like the amount of people who flippantly talk about like quote unquote lazy development developers working at Game Freak, things like that. Like that doesn't help you, you know, that doesn't help you to put other people down. It just hurts them. Yeah. You uh, haven't played Drill Dozer clearly if you're calling the developers at Game Freak bad or lazy because <laughs> they every game outside of Pokemon has been buck wild in the in the coolest way possible. Pocket Car Jockey, Drill Dozer, like these are people. Obviously, teams change over time, but I think even with the last three Switch Pokemon games, again, you can tell that the people working in these games want to push it, you know? And like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Pokemon Legends was kind of billed as a spinoff in January. Because I imagine, and I don't have any data to suggest this, but like, it's clear that the Pokemon company didn't want to go all in on it, you know? Like, it was a test. And it passed. And then I imagine the development of Scarlet and Violet had to go, you know, like, okay, now add that to this game. (laughs) You know, and like, Mm. it was unclear, like, which game was development when but based on what we got with scarlet and violet i imagine it was very fast unfortunately but i mean going back to what this game is doing well like i really like the characters i like the framing device i like that it's really more about aspiration than anything else like even the legendary pokemon that's on the cover you form a bond with them by giving them a sandwich uh and (laughs) it's silly but honestly all that is is like you got the legendary by showing them compassion. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you went to the Temple of Time and threw a Master Ball. It was like you saw an injured Pokemon on the beach and you gave it food. And yeah. it's like just moments like that that work so much better than past Pokemon stories. And again, I think a lot of it is just credit to like, you know, it's it's not like it's not complicated dialogue, but I think you get such a strong sense of character. And like Arceus, I feel like there are ideas brewing and there are different factions that I'm like interested in seeing. The way the game is kind of structured is like you go to this academy and the class president who we've been talking about, she's like, cool, like you should totally go down this path, which is like the victory road path of like 
fighting all the gyms in any order you want. Get stronger. I'm going to battle you constantly because I love battling. Let's do this together. Yeah. Then you meet another guy who's like, no, you shouldn't explore ruins with me. I, I don't know. I, I read all his dialogue in that tone of voice. Really? Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what he did. I, when you meet him, he's like especially mad at you. Yeah. And and his like it's this whole dramatic battle setup. His name is Arvin, by the way. Arvin. Yeah. He has this squirrel with like big cheeks and that's it. Like that was all you had. There was yeah. this like dramatic scene. He's bad at battling. That was the thing, though, is that after that battle, he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm not very good at battling, but you are." <laughs> and then he kind of like commits that to memory, and then that's why he he brings you on to his quest later. Is because he's like, "I do need somebody who's good at battling to do the thing that I'm trying to do." What he, what he's trying to do specifically is the second path of the game, which is he's looking for this like magical herb that seems to grow in mountains specifically. And when Pokemon eat these herbs, they like become gigantic like almost kind of gigantamaxed in a way like naturally uh from 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 sword and shield and he's like i'm so bad at battling that if i go and try and find these things and find these herbs i will probably die in the process (laughs) so i need somebody who's good at fighting who is like has a proven acumen for pokemon battling to go out and do this for me and like i'll do backup and like extract the herb and things like that but i need somebody to like distract the giant pokemon and that's the second tier of the game and then there's a third tier which is a a person who hacks into your phone yes uh and is like hello i am cassiopeia and i need you to fight team star and team star is the new evil team and the way that (laughs) plays out is uh really bizarre the have you done any of the team star missions i haven't yeah so i mean like wait can i can i hit you with how they work please do because they're yes they're wild so the way team star operates is they have bases all over the island that you're that you're exploring the open world and what you need to do is you need to go to essentially the front gate of one of these bases and you need to battle one of the team star members out front and then say i am here to challenge you the entire team at once in this base and then they're like okay and then they open the gate for you and this is like codified in team stars like rules and regulations for how they run their team everyone throws their pokemon out into the base at the same time and you have to throw three of your pokemon out at the same time and you defeat at least in the one that i did so far you need to defeat 50 pokemon (laughs) within a set time frame within like five minutes you need to defeat 50 pokemon and if you can do that then the leader of that base will come out challenge you to a battle and if you beat them you become the leader of that base so wow. it's like it's very much like the the ubisoft like assassin's creed thing yeah yeah or like the far cry thing but in the pokemon world and it is nonsense the other thing i will say about this game so those are your three paths you, you have you have the victory road you have this uh, i think they're called terra battles then you have the team star stuff i think it's called starfall street is yeah, the third operation one. starfall is yeah. what the hacker tells you it's called yeah this game and this is one of the things that i think like if the technical issues weren't here everyone would be praising this because this is the thing everyone has said they wanted forever this game gets so hard like yeah, pretty quickly even the first gym battle gave me pause which has never happened yeah honestly since like maybe diamond and pearl and even then that was yeah. when we were getting a little bit like okay are we really doing this again like right i get the right type and i win sort of thing and this isn't even a situation where like oh because it's an open world you can like kind of go outside of you know a place where you're supposed to be and it's difficult things like that this 
this is like the game is mostly when you're doing these kinds of events is like mostly scaling to where you're at and how many gym badges you have. It's like keeping track of what you've done already and then scaling the the trainers and the and the leaders uh, to match that. But even still, it's not as easy as like, oh, this is a fire type Pokemon and I picked Quaxley. So, of course, I'm going to win there. I have gotten team wiped more in this game than maybe ever before in any Pokemon game, just because I like wasn't actually prepared for the thing that I thought I was prepared for. Like I waltzed into the first team star base because it was like, oh, yeah, it's a fire type. So that'll be easy for me. Extremely not extremely <laughs> difficult and on the the victory road side for gym leaders they have their new gimmick it's called terrestrializing which allows you to uh essentially imbue a pokemon with either a more powerful version of the same type they already are or a different type like it'll switch its type up so like i don't know you could have like a pikachu that becomes a flying type for example things like that the gym leaders will always terrestrialize their pokemon their last pokemon and will either like completely switch to the opposite type that you are prepared for. Like, oh, I've, I've come into, we'll use fire again as an example. We've come into the fire type gym and then the last Pokemon will end up turning into a water type. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't bring anything to prepare myself for a water type. Why would I have done that? And that is exhilarating and also horrifying. And I think kind of brings back this like wonder that anything is possible in Pokemon for me, at least, because I, I never know what I'm getting into and explore Exploring isn't only just me wandering around in open space. Exploring is me poking at the edges of like the actual events in and of themselves and being like, I will take a full team wipe if it means I have gathered information about how to come back and beat this thing. And that's really cool. It's really cool that this game really is, as you said, all about aspiration and all about exploration and like almost harmony with the world. And that that sense is imbued in every single aspect of it, except for the fact that it runs like shit. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, it's it's not even just like, oh, I wish this looked better. It's like it looks actively bad a lot of the time, which I think yeah. really gets in the way of me wanting to even explore which is really sad i'm so smitten by this game despite everything which i think is a testament to how good the rest of it is you know and and that's equally frustrating but also impressive that like this really feels like if it ran well this would easily be the pokemon game i recommend you get on switch and i think like if you're a big fan of the franchise i think you're gonna have a great time with this you know i I think i can recommend it to people who have been following the series for a long time it is giving the player like kind of what we've been waiting for for a very long time yeah and also just like so many great ideas crafting tms is so cool i really like i was bummed when they were like oh yeah tms are a one-time use again and then they introduced this crafting system for them where it, it pulls a little bit from Arceus, where like every time you defeat a pokemon or catch a pokemon you get like an essence of that pokemon and you can use that to recraft it into tms that are like that type so like if you're catching a lot of grass type pokemon you can craft more grass type tms which i i thought was going to be a step backwards and is actually maybe even a step forwards i think it's really interesting yeah i think it's a great idea it's a great compromise because it makes tms precious but also it's not like you don't have to go on a game facts forum to trade a shiny melodic for the tm you want yeah and and you and you start to I, I think it really it pushes people into exploring more and catching more than just one of each Pokemon and things like that, which I, th- I think is really smart. And I've also noticed and this is maybe just me, but I, I haven't really engaged with this as much, but it seems like they want you to be 
crafting TMs all the time. And there's such a focus on it. Like every Pokemon Center has literally like, we'll heal your Pokemon, the Mart. And then the third station is like the TM crafting station. And there's such an emphasis on it that it makes me think it's like even more important than I know at this point. And I'm wondering if the reason I'm getting my ass kicked by so many trainers and stuff every once in a while is because maybe in this game, TMs are stronger and better than the natural moves that Pokemon will learn. And I'm wondering if I start to invest more in the TM side, if that'll make everything else easier. I'm really curious about that. I feel like uh, there's always been this disconnect between like the single player Pokemon has historically been very easy. Yeah. Black and white changed it up a little bit. And then X and Y was even easier. I think I beat that whole game with the move power up punch from Pangoro. <laughs> uh, and like, Roll out, Again, roll, the, out, roll out, roll out, roll out, roll out. These games are for a younger audience. Like they're for they're for everybody, but they are marketed and made with a younger audience in mind. So yeah. I am not going to be the thirty year old man who says Pokemon is too easy. But I I also think that like the games we grew up with and the games that kids are playing, I think there's a there's a way to make it approachable, but also be challenging. You know, I think like yeah. I think that the fun of Pokemon is experimentation and learning learning from your mistakes. And I think Arceus really got that right. Mm-hmm. Where like that game, it, there's such an emphasis on catching that like, you know, you're going to be constantly switching out members of your team, which honestly almost went too far for me because I kind of like having like four buddies mm. for the whole game. And that game wanted me to have four ranches. And I'm like, I don't really want that many mime juniors, but I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll have to catch them. But uh, this game, like the disconnect of like single player being easy or at least just like all about you know use the right types yeah multiplayer was a nightmare where it was like this meta game of like switching (laughs) and move sets and having a perfect ev train skarmory Mm -hmm. which i might have had and that's also like i I wish there was a middle ground because i I always like wanted to learn more about that like strategy you know i mean you and i have been having a great time with marvel snap and there's like a little bit of like it's not to the same degree but it's like okay there's a lot of strategy in deck building and i like having a game that is pvp and that i that requires me to think strategically and to plan ahead and to see the results of that plan yeah yeah you and i have talked a lot about like the the beauty of dragon quest combat essentially involving only small numbers until you get like towards the end game yeah you know because it's you can do the math in your head all the time and in pokemon it's like everyone has so many stats there's really no i mean i'm sure there is i'm sure somebody out there is listening to this and they're like excuse me but for the most part i don't think you're gonna like use fire wheel on a pokemon and know exactly how much damage it's gonna do because you don't know that pokemon stats yeah and i mean and that's the thing it's like the competitive pokemon scene would get into like ivs and evs and like to the point where it's not even fun anymore where it's like you've turned this into excel like I don't want to play this like online with with a stranger mm-hmm. but all that to say is Scarlet and Violet I think is taking a little bit of that like, okay like you can't just think about types anymore you have to think about what moves does your Pokemon have what items are they holding and use strategies like that I mean even like the first gym the final uh, Pokemon you fight is a terrestrialized teddy bear that becomes a bug type and yeah. that thing was wiping my team And I was like a a decent level too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having to then think about, okay, I have to use like, I need to use sand attack just to buy me some time. Yeah. (laughs) And then switch to a Pokemon. When was the last time you had an experience like that in Pokemon? I've I've had that also is like, I need to throw this Pokemon out there literally just to take a hit just so I can like heal somebody or, you know, maybe I throw this Pokemon out literally just to use hypnosis and then swap back to something else. Like that has happened to me more in this game than maybe ever before. Sword and Shield came close with some gems. I think the Gigantamax thing was kind of similar where like yeah. 
a final Pokemon would have dual typing and catch you off guard. But like at a certain point, it, it kind of became pretty easy as well. And yeah. like that game's story also became so like the the tradition of like, oh, you need to go fight the team while I'm like in FIFA. is like, why? Like, it could have just been there was so much charm and character to all the gym leaders. I didn't need a doomsday plot mm-hmm. with the dog with the sword in its mouth. Like <laughs> I imagine this game is going to have fantasy and to have high stakes as it goes on yeah but i really enjoy the framing device of like here are some friends you've made that all have their own ambitions and you can see it through with with one or both of them yeah you know even operation starfall which is like the most unhinged like i think it's a really clever approach at the teams and it's pokemon thinking like okay like if we're gonna have a team every time what does that mean is it just like mandatory plot beats or can it be its own gameplay feature Mm -hmm. um and it sounds like they kind of took a bit of uh sun and moons like trials where you would fight there was almost like a yeah you know like fighting a bunch like hordes of pokemon at once uh, it sounds like they've added almost like an arcadey element to fighting team star who say hasta la star when they leave and yeah. that's pretty good yeah i knew you were gonna like that yeah yeah so i mean like <laughs> I, I think this game, when I'm not playing it, I want to go back to it. And I always walk away having really enjoyed myself. But it's frustrating. And, and it's it's sad. And I, I, I don't know how much patches can do to fix certain things. And I don't really know, like, what the future holds. Because, like, this should have been the moment of, like, everyone being pumped for the future of Pokemon and for this entry in particular. Yeah. And instead, it's this kind of, like half-baked thing where it's like yeah the game runs terribly and is the worst running game on switch but it's great somehow um yeah. and you know from pokemon's end like this game essentially is a commercial for the anime and the trading card game and new merchandise and that's very disappointing because like i think pokemon has such a huge place in Nintendo's library is this beloved series by all ages and is also as we've often said like often the perfect entry point to RPGs for a younger audience or for people who haven't played them so like I want this series to do well I want it to be the best version of itself but I also can't help but feel a little disappointed with this entry and I think the only thing to blame is just the pressure Pokemon is under as a company to meet these absurd deadlines and to like make more money than ever before because the game's going to sell no matter what. I don't know. I just I hope that there are lessons learned from this and that like whatever comes next gets the proper time and care it deserves. Yeah. Yeah, uh, like to be perfectly clear, like we didn't need two Pokemon games, like two main and I, I know Arceus wasn't a mainline Pokemon game technically, but like it really felt like it when it came out. Absolutely. Uh, we yeah. didn't need two in the same calendar year, you know, and I and I understand from like literally a business perspective that you would want to launch this. I mean, it's it's the end of November. We're entering the holiday season like a, there's there's a, a an OLED switch that is like themed like Scarlet and Violet. Like, of course, they're trying to push units for the holiday season and they they want to prove, I think if I were if I was to guess, I think Nintendo wants to prove that they can continue to sell software without needing to upgrade the hardware because their software is quote unquote so good that they don't they don't need a more powerful switch yet. Uh, I think I think that that's what they're trying to prove here. And they're probably going to be right. They're going to move a shitload of units of this game because it is really good. But unfortunately, even compared to its contemporaries, even compared to other games that are only available on the Nintendo Switch, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, obviously a shining example. But go back and and I, I actually opened up Arceus and like played Arceus for a little bit earlier. That game looks like fine. 
but runs really well. That's the thing. Arceus knew exactly what elements to focus on and yeah. like the animations of the Pokemon. That's the other thing. Kind of went for about- like a painterly vibe that it, I think, accomplishes more than it doesn't. Um, but then you could also go back to Breath of the Wild, which came out in literally 2017. And unfortunately, and, and I, I like I hate being so down on it, but like it looks way better than this does. I think Sword and Shield looks way better than this. Yeah. Like, I, And I never thought that looked bad. But like the thing about Skrull and Violet is like it's not even just visuals, but it's like I'll throw my Pokeball at a Pokemon and wait like 10 seconds for the battle to start. And then my Pokeball will still be floating in the air yeah. there's the queen ranala fight in the classroom you know it often takes like a minute to like interact or to pick things up so like this is coming from someone who like we are very like i don't say easy to please but like we are not <laughs> i would say we're people. easy to please i i i personally will say that i am easy to please we're easy to please in the sense of performance we're never going to complain that something is running poorly unless it's blatantly obvious yeah and in this case it is yeah the amount of times i mean obviously i'm excited about this but there's a photo mode in this game that you can launch into at any moment and the amount of times i've launched into the photo mode to try and capture a moment quickly and it takes a second to open it up and when it does there's a bug that happens frequently where your hand will be floating in front of the camera lens so you actually are like obscured from view of the thing that you're trying to take a picture of it happens (laughs) to me all the time there are moments where like i'm out in the world and i see a pokemon and i'm like wow this is perfect moment to take a picture of seeing this pokemon out in the wild so cool and i'll like go to open up the camera and there's like my floating gloved hand obscuring the pokemon i'm trying to take a picture of and then by the time i like exit out of photo mode and launch back into it or like shuffle my position or something that pokemon will have literally despawned from the world (laughs) because like it walked three steps out of my purview so of course that means that the game is like we don't need to load this guy anymore have you made a sandwich yet in the in the picnic yeah yeah it's absurd there's a moment where like the so one of my favorite things about sword and shield was the camping weirdly mm-hmm. it didn't really serve a direct purpose but like you can set up camp with your pokemon and also with your friends pokemon and just like interact with them which i really liked because i think something that this game does well is i like getting the sense of like pokemon living in the world you know yeah. in this game this is equivalent you can set up a picnic at any place and your pokemon will roam around and it's honestly really cute i love it until you make a sandwich <laughs> then it somehow becomes a tim and eric episode because it goes to this like manic screen where you you take low low res ham and throw it on a piece of bread and then it cuts to the scene where like the character's head moves over a flat jpeg of the sandwich and takes a bite but like it's not like it's not animated to actually take a bite it's just like it's it's really bad <laughs> and it just like it's not that's like one of the lesser things to critique but it's just moments like that where i'm like you shouldn't even done this like this is like so bizarre Anyway, I don't I don't want to dwell on that stuff because again, I, I I would not have brought this game to the show if I wasn't enjoying it. And we've said many things that I think this game is not only doing well, but it's often doing stuff that has like not been done before in the series and also has refined things to be the best they've ever been. So yeah. it's it's just very frustrating. I do want to circle back to a thing that you had mentioned before you said i I don't even know how much patches can help this game and i'm kind of with you on that because i think if you were to if they were to 
miraculously patch away all of the bugs right and the performance issues like if this game was running at like a frame rate that made sense and wasn't hanging when i was jumping through the air on the back of my pokemon uh or like doing any of the things that it is asking me to do actually I, it's worth mentioning one of the first thing at least for me in the order that i was doing the game i don't know maybe it changes but uh when you're doing arvin's quest line and you go and fight the like giant pokemon every time you beat one you kind of get a power that they have and it applies it to your legendary so i imagine that's how you like get surf and fly and things like that yeah um or like the ability to fly you can actually fly to any place that you've previously been immediately as soon as you've been there which i think is great like they, they have a quote-unquote flying taxi service that'll come you up anywhere yeah yeah it's awesome um anyway uh the first thing that it unlocked for me was the ability to uh like dash and go into like hyperspeed on the back of my motorcycle pokemon and i was like this is going to be a nightmare like there's no you're having a hard enough time at me going normal speed running on my own two feet. And then as soon as I get onto my motorcycle Pokemon and start moving, the game starts to hang. What happens if I'm going even faster? Like, how is yeah. the game going to perform? And the answer is like, not well. And I, I, I <laughs> that's kind of the the troublesome thing for me is this this idea that like, oh, you're giving me a thing that I want. I do want to be able to move faster through this world. But I also have an oh, no moment where I know it's going to make the game run worse by trying to use the cool thing that I just unlocked. And that's a bummer. If they're able to fix all of that, you're still left with the fact that the game doesn't look very good. Unfortunately, I think I think there's like there are some really beautiful, charming settings. I think some of the art direction is really great. I think the towns are like huge and fascinating to me. Yeah. And also like the the home you start in is gorgeous yeah. i loved exploring the house i also think the characters look good yes a lot of attention was given to the character models and like the pokemon themselves although even on the pokemon you can tell there's some weird textures going on like yeah i did have a but um they, they do have like kind of like an rcs there will be huge groups of pokemon that will show up sometimes and i had like 30 jigglypuffs out in the wild and they all looked like the super smash brothers 64 jigglypuff <laughs> and i was like is this is this a glitch or is this like a fun Easter egg? And then I caught it and then it was like perfectly round again. And I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, all that said, like, I think there is some really stunning art direction in this game. I think there are things that look really good. I think yeah. some of the world design is really great when you're in those cities and towns. Frame rate aside, I do like exploring these places. And I like that there are stores all over the place. Like you can go to a town and there will be, yeah. you know, a bunch of like patisseries or cafes or a bunch of stores that just sell backpacks. And, and I would run into... I the first time this happened to me, I ran into one of the, like the larger cities and I, I found this backpack store. I was like, Oh, that's kind of a bummer that I wish that this town had like more backpacks than just this, like one kind of backpack, because you know, I'm all about the fashion. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I was just kind of like wandering around the town, just like looking at stuff and like talking to people and whatever. And I found another backpack store and then I found a third backpack store and they all had different inventory all in this same city. And that's the shit that I love. That's what feels to me like I'm getting Dragon Quest Eleven kind of energy again, where it's like I'm making my way into a city and I just want to be here and I want to hang out for a long time and like explore all the ins and outs and like hear what everybody has to say and like what it's like to live here. There's one city that's filled with these giant electronic billboards that have all of these like truly bizarre ads for things like there's a quaxley who's selling credit cards in, <laughs> in, on these big billboards that's like so interesting and it's the biggest city i've ever seen in a game like this and and this game constantly has these highs of like there are beautiful spaces to be found in here and on the flip side sometimes you'll go out into the wild or like onto a beach or something and you can clearly see the same like png texture 
copy pasted over and over and over again, you know, along like the cliffside or like, you know, one rock model that they have used hundreds and hundreds of times all over the place with like no changes whatsoever made to that rock. Um, And those are the moments that get me really bummed out, especially coming hot off the heels of playing things like Xenoblade on the Switch or, you know, knowing that The Witcher 3 runs on that thing, you know? Yeah, it's 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 tough. And I mean, that's the thing you can't sorry to wrap all that up. That's the thing you can't patch. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing that's not going to get changed in in a patch eventually. Like you can change the performance and that will make me enjoy the game better, to be clear. But it, it won't help the thing that hurts the most, I think, which is just like the the kind of like bland art direction when you're in the actual open space. Yeah, I feel like it's almost the opposite of Sword and Shield in a way. We're like, I actually thought Sword and Shield looked great. I mean, there's so many yeah. uh, routes of that game where you see like rolling hills in the distance mm-hmm. and like really pretty. But a lot of the spaces felt sort of empty. Yeah, it, it just felt like a lot of places didn't really serve a function outside of like there's a gym and a mart. Yeah. Whereas this game is the total opposite where everything feels so lived in. Even yeah. the Poke Center is like you're constantly getting like tips from the person who heals your Pokemon and like it feels alive and yet, you know, it looks the way it does. So I think we're yeah. going in circles a little bit, but like that's kind of what the game makes you do or like it's it's so great and so flawed at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I am loving it still, despite all of this. Um, I I have found myself in areas that are like way above level for where I'm supposed to be, which has been really fun and like challenging, but also really rewarding. And that's been really exciting. I really like the open world. I frequently get lost in in fun ways and not like frustrating ways. But yeah, I, I, I do hope that there's some kind of update coming for this. And I assume there is, right? Like even RC has got some updates down the line. So I, yeah. I, I assume that there's going to be something that they're going to add to this game or some kind of patches that they'll add. And, and maybe we revisit this game in like, you know, two to three months when they've done that. And, and hopefully it's a little bit better by then. I just don't want the takeaway and this is a larger societal problem, but I feel like we've seen so often, especially for really big franchises like this, that there's this idea of like release it half finished and we'll make money anyway. Yeah. You know, like I don't want that to be the takeaway from future Pokemon games. I can't help it. I mean, this feels like the breaking point. Yeah. Because there's always going to be a weirdo on Twitter being like, look at that tree. You know, anytime yeah. a Pokemon game comes out and it's almost always hyperbolic until now. <laughs> like this, this is what's it's so frustrating. This is the first time that Twitter guy is right. And it's like, fuck. But, you know, again, I mean, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, you know, like, yeah, in a sense, eventually so many people got so riled up about Pokemon looking not great that this one is like, oh, shit. Unfortunately, everyone is right about this and it's unacceptable. The reply guys, the secreted this into existence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, I i will definitely <laughs> i'm gonna keep playing i'm having fun i definitely want to do more of the gym quest at least i'm enjoying the gym battles and like again like it's not quite the same pomp and circumstance of sword and shield with like them all being celebrities yeah but you know there are the, the also we haven't said this the music in this game is on believable yeah the music is atlas holding up all the frame rate issues (laughs) all the textures the music in this game like the battle themes have the sickest baseline i've ever heard yeah toby fox is one of the composers and you can like hear it when it's one of his songs because it's like oh man why am i crying all of a sudden it's so good and there's so much love in this game like it really feels like for the first time in a while probably since i mean rc has felt this way too but like you could feel the excitement that was behind this game 
game and the attention that was given to the setting and how, you know, the town where the first gym is, everything is based around like baked goods and the harvest. And that's why you do the olive mini game and, right. and posing with the gym leader after you beat them. And like it's the so UI funny. of the menu and the way the Pokedex is interpreted as these like collection of books, all of that does so much to make this game a joy to play uh yeah. so you know and just despite the way it looks i do find myself frequently like going up to high vantage points and opening up the camera and taking pictures of things and when you take screenshots of this game it looks beautiful yeah there, there are definitely mo- especially like when you're in smaller environments it looks much better that house you start in dream home and my <laughs> dorm room looks sick i love my dorm room i have like a animal crossing 70s like kitchen it's like orange and green in my dorm room i'm like what dorm room has a kitchen in it what yeah. school is this yeah I, I i thought the exact same thing yeah so, yeah i one thing that i want them to add to this game this is just like a mechanic thing i really wish i had the ability to like wait until daytime or nighttime um oh the, yeah because like there are certain this. pokemon that only come out you know during certain days and or during certain times of day in certain weather conditions that always bones me out when i'm like stuck in nighttime and like Day and night take a long time in this game. It's like it feels like maybe 20 to 30 minutes, which, you know, in that time, you're going to leave that area and move on to another one. So you don't even really get a full picture. The funniest thing that's happened to me in this game, though, this is just a complete like a side anecdote. There's this one town that I found that was fascinating. It was so interesting. It's a three tiered town that's like built into the side of a mountain. And there's like one level of the town that, you know, has shops and stuff and people kind of wandering around. And then there's this giant like waterfall with an elevator in the middle and you take the elevator to the second tier and then the third tier and that's like where the gym is and where you like fight the gym leader and things like that it's re- it's a really cool place but it had this like unintentional like class disparity idea that i i don't i don't think they meant for this to be the case and maybe this isn't even always the case but it's this town is built directly into a mountain next to a desert and on the first tier of of this place there was a huge sandstorm that had rolled in and there were all these people getting just buffeted by sand like getting absolutely ruined there's i have this great screenshot of like me like shielding my eyes from the sand and there's this woman sitting like outside in a lounge chair holding a drink just like casually drinking her drink and i was like oh my god she's so used to the sandstorm that this doesn't even phase her whereas my character is like trying to shield his eyes from getting ruined and i took the elevator up to the second tier and there was no sandstorm there and i was like oh my god the people who live on the, on the first tier of this city don't have the money to work their way up because the second tier also has like more fashion stores, like has more things that you can buy. And then the third tier has this one store that has literally one backpack that looks exactly like like a coach backpack. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, like I don't I don't I don't know how intentional it is, but it seemed like it might have been on purpose. That reminds me of a of Gravity Rush 2, which definitely yes. is intentional where like, yeah, of course, that game largely takes place on like one like sky island Mm -hmm. but there's a point where either via a side quest or just through your own exploration you'll fall and like there are parts of the map where like if you fall too far like it'll respawn you somewhere else but like you fall for like a good couple minutes and then you eventually fall like through the clouds into where like most people live and it's a shocking reveal yeah another shout out for gravity rush 2 that game doesn't get enough credit and i constantly good video game sing praise about it um anyway this is the first time with scarlet and violet where i want the de facto third version that's the same game i'm like give give them more time and more money to do this again you know and that that's also kind of nightmarish in its own capitalist way but like i i really i really think there's so much going for this game yeah that i do feel the need to champion it and to defend it but i also have to concede 
to what's holding it back. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's course. that's kind of all I can say about it currently. Yeah. It's hard, I think. And, and just to wrap this up, I guess for me, at the end of the day, like of the two Pokemon games that they put out this year, Arceus is still the one that like speaks to me the most. It's it feels like the biggest departure. It feels like it has the most interesting ideas going on this one still you know despite definitely livening up the the central conceit and formula of what pokemon is like you're still going and doing the gym badges and things like that rcs removing all of that and saying like what if the joy was in the exploration and the wonder it really speaks to me more than anything else I, I i don't i hate to directly compare them together like that but if they're both getting released in the same year they're both obviously goatee contenders uh and they're both potential future paths for this franchise to take i would i hope that rcs is kind of a little bit a little bit more the the direction that we go in see i actually like in theory i like scarlet the most like and Mm -hmm. i said this during the stream where it's like this is the bones of what would be my favorite pokemon game i feel like in execution rcs is definitely the better experience overall but i just didn't i kind of like the battles i like the gyms i kind of playing rcs to me was like i love i love the proof of concept here but i want this applied to what i know and love and that's kind of how scarlet feels Mm -hmm. so like to me, I would, and that's it's cool that you know there's now an audience for both. And I w- honestly wonder if like maybe there was there was part of a strategy here is like let's see which game does better. Yeah, you know? I wouldn't be surprised. I think this game, I'm pretty sure it sold well. I know it has had the most pre-orders in Pokemon history. Wow. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, there's gonna be another one. So we'll, we'll see we'll see how that shapes up. There's gonna be another one. There will always be another one. I just want Scarlet too. I you know if Black and White can get a sequel i want scarlet and violet to get a sequel yeah well that's pokemon scarlet and violet for the time being i imagine we'll talk about them again if i was to guess i did see the starter evolutions did you you i still i have not seen them still okay i won't say anything i uh i have seen brigatito's evolution because my partner percy is playing and picks brigatito and I have also seen Quaxley's evolution. And I will you say shows that Quaxley, right? Quaxley's evolution was not at all in the direction I thought it was going. And it's exhilarating to me. <laughs> I chose Fikoko, who is yes. maybe one of my favorite Pokemon. I, I have seen the evolutions and I'm not crazy about them. But honestly, sometimes you've got to take the punches life throws at you. So I've been considering swapping my starter out for the first time ever. I do like I do like quaxley's first evolution a lot and i'm excited to see where the third one goes but there are so many interesting new pokemon in this game that i kind of want to like give some of them the spotlight a little bit i i've been making a, a point to try and not have pokemon from previous generations in my party this time around just because i oh interesting because i don't know what any of these things are or turn into uh and because you and i were i, I would say like uncharacteristically removed from the marketing cycle for this game uh i actually came into it knowing almost nothing about like how it played or what it was or what new pokemon existed in here um outside of the first few that they released like fido for example like i know i knew that fido was in this game but i don't know what most of the pokemon in this game are and that's been really exciting to see like what evolves how does it evolve etc etc like i found i found this little this little guy he's like the size of like a closed fist and i think he's a pepper and he's he's a grass type who learns sunny day, which I think implies that he's going to evolve into a fire type, like a, like an actual, like hot pepper. Yeah. Uh, Exhilarating. Brilliant. Do you want to hear my team so far? (laughs) Sure. So I have my Fuecoco cinnamon, Uh I nicknamed cinnamon. I have a Lechonk, which I knew Lechonk, the new, basically the new Rattata, but it's a pig. Yeah. Named him Porco Rosso. 
Have you evolved LeChonk yet? Not yet. I, I have evolved my LeChonk. Beautiful evolution. I have one of the deer, deerling. Mm. It was a pink deer, so I almost named it Hilda after oh. the golden deer. Yeah, perfect. But I named it Springtime in honor of my uh, oh. past Pokemon. Yes. Um, I got a, a, a weird mullet, like mongoose named roche after the ff7 yeah uh, biker that was uh previous generation i forget i forget what generation that yang goose yeah um i have one of the, this is a new one i have charlotte uh the weird spider with the ball of silk on its back i love that thing it's evolved form is also like wild it's like an old man oh really yeah. i can't wait to see it <laughs> uh and then i have a psyduck named my son um I, it's it's kind of fun to see the sizes of all the pokemon because psyduck looks like a mascot compared to a lot of the early game pokemon it looks like mm-hmm. a person in a psyduck outfit which is even better to me yeah but uh, yeah my that's my son and uh i'm having a good time I've, I've been catching a pretty good amount i'm my my move even when i'm not doing a nuzlocke is i i'm very picky usually but this game has allowed, I don't know, this game just has inspired me to catch more for whatever reason. Mm. I think just seeing them is like, oh, why not? I also do, I don't know if we talked about this yet, but I like the auto battle feature. Me too. It's a great idea. Basically, you can send one of your Pokemon out and they'll just like run around and get into battles while you explore. It's a great idea. And it's, was that in Arceus? There was like sort of a version of it, right? It wasn't auto battling, but like. I don't recall. I, I do know that you could just throw a Pokeball and just try and catch something without needing to battle it first. That's what really it nice. was. Yeah, you would level up by catching. And basically. I do miss that in this game a lot because yeah. I, I have found myself. My move so far in this game has been going around and catching one of everything uh, so far. And I've caught a shitload of Pokemon already just by doing that. And that's why it's taking me so long to, I think, play this game. But I do wish that I could continue catching more pokemon without needing to like launch into a battle even even if like you know you press the 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 right trigger to launch into a regular battle so you can catch something and then the right bumper to auto battle i do wish that like if i pressed l i could just throw a pokeball or something That'd be have nice. you found a flabebe i haven't and somebody wants to trade me one in, in one of the towns yeah someone really wants a flabebe and i'm like i don't know i can't help you yeah, I did find out this morning that Drifloon is a Scarlet exclusive, uh, which really fucks me up because Drifloon is like top three favorite Pokemon for me. I mean, we can yeah. trade. Yeah, we should. I would like I'm <laughs> I can give you a Gulpin, which is a Violet exclusive. <laughs> if you want a big guy who goes bomb. I mean, I kind of do at the Poké Center. They're like you can, you know, play co-op online with friends. I'm like, I honestly don't know if, if this game will last. Like, I feel like I kind of want to do it just to see how it works with you. But I'm like, I can't imagine that running well. <laughs> I will try it. Yeah, I, w- yeah. I, w- I will definitely try it because uh, I, I mean, between the two of us, we know so many people who pick this game up. Yeah, um, I did find my first shiny in this game also, oh, which, which is which is nice because you could just see them out in the wild as they're walking around. Uh, I got a scatterbug who's usually like a little like black cute worm with big eyes and like buck teeth and he's like all silver which is fine i had I, ca- I caught a couple shinies in rcs i found a yeah uh, they made shiny hunting in that game like really seamless i wonder if there's something like that in this game and in sword and shield i had a shiny magikarp uh which was cool and then eventually whoa got a red gyarados hell sick. yeah yeah that's awesome wow i'm yeah. jealous pokemon scarlet and violet 
I really do like them a lot. I haven't had any hard crashes yet, but I, I was reading, I think it was the Washington Post review and the Washington Post review was like, we did like between the two people who reviewed the game, they both had two hard crashes each, which is a bummer. So I've been saving a lot. My game almost crashed when I, when I threw the olive in the goal, there was like a good 30 <laughs> seconds before it came I know what back you're talking on. about. Yeah. yeah. That was also the first gym I did. They kind of, they kind of lead you in that direction. One of the interesting things that they do in this game is you can go talk to uh, the person who heals Pokemon at the Pokemon Center and you can just be like, what do I do next? And they will just pick something that like seems like it's around your level, uh, make it like the marked destination on your map, and then literally like physically turn you in the direction of where you're supposed to go to get there. Um, That's which, cool. Which worked for me once, and then the second time it did not work for me because I think I needed like surf or something uh, to be able to get to where they were trying to send me. So mixed results on that, but it's a cool idea in theory. I think if you're curious, and this is not just a plug, but I think if you're curious about this game... If anything we've said is appealing to you, like watch some footage of it before you pick it up. Like we both have made videos about it. I think that will give you a fair representation of what the experience will be. Yeah, I want to make another one. By the time I'll, I'll I'll commit to this, by the time this episode is out, there will be a second one because I, as you said, I think the first like hour to hour and a half of this game is pretty polished and for the most part pretty good and there there are some bugs but it's not that bad but like at the point where i'm at now it's a constant and i think highlighting and showing what that part of the game looks like is maybe the move yeah that might be a good idea so that's all i got it's also all i got i've heard that the story also continues to be great which is yeah a funny a funny all thing three of those paths Pokemon. converge in some way which is i'm, I'm interested in that's exciting right now i don't have any sense of how that could be possible yeah so maybe maybe we'll report back if we get further in and have anything more to say but i imagine overall we've encompassed our thoughts pretty directly yeah i think it'll come up in goatee season in some way shape or form i think i think we'll probably bring it up yeah we'll see okay <laughs> Sorry, i picked was... quaxley the duck with a pompadour I picked Fue Coco and he turned into a rock. I love that first scene when you when you meet all of them and you get to see yeah, a little bit of their personalities. Adorable. Yeah. This this generation, at least in their first forms, one of the strongest in a while. I yeah. usually have negative feelings about one of them. Uh and this time I actually liked all of them. Yeah. Me too. So I had a hard time picking. Great. Um I almost picked Fue Coco. You almost did? Yeah. I'm sorry if I bullied you away from my son. You did, but it's okay because I'm enjoying Quaxley. <laughs> Cool. All right. Why don't we move on? Sure. All right. Well, see you later. Bye. Enough about Quaxley. Everyone's screaming. I want to hear about Bavaria. I'm yeah. going to tell you about Bavaria. Please do. I'm playing a game called Pentiment for Microsoft's Xbox. I think it might also be on PC. I might be wrong about that. I think it's on Windows specifically. Like it's not on Steam. It is it is a Xbox Game Studios first party thing. It's on Game Pass day and date. And it's by Obsidian Entertainment, which is very interesting. Um, this is like the same Obsidian that made Fallout New Vegas. This is the same Obsidian that's working on Avowed, which is supposed to be the uh, Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls, yeah. The Elder Scrolls competitor, uh, despite them now also owning Bethesda. <laughs> so it is on Steam, by the way. I just it is it on Steam. Okay, yeah. cool. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually glad to hear that. It is one of the most ambitious and bizarre games i've played in a while just to get all the like big hyperbolic bombastic shit out of the way i think it's maybe a masterpiece it's the first game that i've played since kentucky route zero that made me think about kentucky route zero it is a side scrolling like kind of point and click adventure i'm gonna say mystery game um that is set in 16th century bavaria you play as a guy named andreas uh who is 
he can actually be a lot of things depending on how you build your character which is how you know it's a fucking good role-playing game uh but but you can yeah, you can dude. commander shepherd dude <laughs> yeah like kind of though um you can build his background in a bunch of different ways um mine just happens to be from italy uh he is trained in law and like he's a good orator um but is also uh kind of late in life uh, has decided that he wants to become an artist uh, and he works as uh, what I think is called an illuminator in a scriptorium. And what that wow. means is that he's working on illuminated manuscripts, which are like if you've ever seen, I think the easiest like cultural touchstone is Monty Python, the Holy Grail, the like animated Terry Gilliam stuff mm. that happens in between scenes. That is the art style of an illuminated manuscript. Like if you've ever seen those old medieval books where it's clear that the art is more interesting or at least takes precedence over the words. In, is that in, like like faces on torsos kind of vibe? Yes, very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like no sense of depth perception or like scale at all. <laughs> like everyone is on a flat plane, things like that. Yeah. You know, birds and mushrooms and just like kind of ornate drawings all over the place with like these really vivid colors. Forgive me, but kind of like the Fire Emblem Three Houses murals in yes. between chapters. Yes. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. That is exactly the vibe. That, yeah. That's what they were going for as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, so he he works in a scriptorium working on illuminated manuscripts. This is, this is his job. Um, and specifically at at the time if you if you worked in a scriptorium you were essentially hired by clients to create these things where they would say like i want this book like i want i don't know uh i, I want the iliad but i want it as like an illuminated manuscript and you would work you know for most of your life on that work for that client and they would pay you you know a pittance but like enough to at least get by and that could be your job um so he he works in a scriptorium with like a bunch of old friars essentially and 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 like monks in in an abbey but he doesn't live in the abbey specifically which is i think an important note where he's like an outsider coming into this space into this town that's like run by the abbey run by the the father who like oversees the abbey and things like that but he's not really like part of the church in that way but also the church and like the holy roman empire like runs the world or at least like his part of the world and that comes into play in a really significant way but i also think it's worth mentioning that the look of this game and the reason that i think a lot of people picked it up when it came out and were interested in it is that the look of this game is also that of an illuminated manuscript like the entire game looks like one of these things but animated not unlike the monty python scenes weirdly enough <laughs> uh just obviously a little bit less silly but only a little bit so the game takes place in this time period you are creating this version of andreas his name is andreas Mahler. you're taking up the role of andreas Mahler, and you're kind of making your way through this time period uh 25 years specifically of this guy's life where it is an obsidian ass adventure game every choice you make matters and will ripple out over the course of those 25 years that you're playing the game there is a thing that happens early on that is kind of like the inciting event of the video game that i don't really want to spoil because i i actually had it spoiled for me technically in a lot of the reviews that i had read and i wish that this was not a thing that was included in here like even in the basic plot summary of the game like if you were to just like go online and say like what is pentiment about you know like the the two sentence byline will give you a hint as to what happens in the game and i was kind of bummed out that i knew it before it happened because if you don't know it's shocking because you don't think that the game is going to turn into this and it does all of that having been said i think this game is absolutely brilliant the writing is shockingly good the character work is is stunning. I would say uh, the one of the overarching ideas for me that I'm taking away from this game is this focus on people and civilization in this time period and kind of reframing the way that you think about it, where I think, you know, a lot of people come into games or even pieces of media set in historic time periods like this. 
And they're like, look at how strange everyone's life was. Look at how weird everyone was. Oh, <laughs> they only ate slop for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they had no fun. And it's like, that's not true, actually. Like, everyone everyone in here is like a normal-ass person. They just have an outsized influence. Uh, or, sorry, the church and, like, society at large and, and those in power have an outsized influence on, like, what they do on a daily basis. So the game takes place you know, over these 25 years, but you are playing like one day at a time in those 25 years for the most part, um, you know, outside of the time skips. And they use like the actual like clock that people used in that time period where it wasn't set up like a 12 hour clock. It was set up as like, you know, here's your morning prayer and breakfast. You go and do your work from like the hours of nine to about 12. And then you break bread with the other people in your society and you can like go out for lunch and kind of have like a social life. But then you need to go back to church and pray again. And then you work again for a while and then you go home and you have dinner and then you go to sleep. And like that's that's like how everyone's day is broken up, whether you work in a scriptorium or not, like that's your day. And the people that you choose to spend your time with, how you choose to spend your time with them, what you choose to talk about, how you choose to help people in between your time working on your quote unquote masterpiece uh, illuminated work is all kind of up to you and all ripples out in really fascinating ways going forward. Like who you're nice to in the opening 10 minutes of this game will actually affect, you know, three hours down the line. Um, and I I frequently find that to be stressful in these kinds of games. And I don't know how you feel about that, but like games that give me this much choice, I'm usually kind of locked in, in almost decision paralysis. Like I just don't know what choice to make. I don't know how it's going to affect anything. And I kind of headed that off at the past really early because when they give you the options for who, uh, who Andreas is, what his background is, where he came from, what kind of vibe he has, um, you know, Am, am I focusing on like intelligence or persuasion or whatever? I was like, this guy's a little bit of a scoundrel who's like trying to get his life around. He's like trying to turn his life around in a way he he uh, knows. And I think the way they phrase it is like he knows and has experience with all the vices of the modern world. Like he he loves <laughs> to drink. He loves to like go to big sex parties. And uh, he's like kind of trying to turn over a new leaf, I guess, from that and become not exactly like a model Catholic, but like he is. He sure is working for a church, you know, but he has this past that kind of implies like he's a little bit of a troublemaker, you know, and what that has allowed me to do as the person playing as this character is like take more chances and and be weirder than I normally would be because I yeah, find you're role playing. Yes. Yeah. And I find in these kinds of games, I usually play as myself or make the decisions that I would have made. And it's really freeing in this game specifically, I think because they they confront you with like, who is this guy? Like right at the top. And he is different enough already from me that I don't feel the need to play as myself. And I do feel a little bit more free to be like, yeah, I'm going to tell this kid to fuck off because he's an asshole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this kid should be helping his aunt herd these sheep. And uh, he sure is not. He's standing around doing nothing. I, I've heard tell from the other people around in the, in the town square that he's a little shit. And I'm going to tell him he's a little shit to his face instead of saying it behind his back. And uh, of course, that, again, affects the game three hours later. Uh, but, you know, Martin's a little shit. So I said that that kind of stuff is really fascinating and really interesting. But I think I think the larger the larger question, the reason I think this game is like maybe brilliant uh, is the larger questions of like, yes, the structures of power and the people in power change. But the idea of power doesn't change 
over time is really fascinating. And like one of the first things that you can do in this game is kind of like rub shoulders with a nobleman who takes a shine to you because of whatever background you choose. Like I, I imagine based on the decisions you make early on as Andreas, like you could pick something that this guy absolutely is uninterested in and he probably treats you like shit. But I just happen to be like a well-educated man from Italy who is also an artist who also happens to be uh, working alongside, like literally directly next to the guy who he has hired to make his work. Um, and he's like going to the scriptorium to check up on it. So he's like, oh, come along with me. Like, let's let's go for like a walk and a chat. And he loved me. And then when I went to the Abbey, everyone was like, this guy sucks and we hate him. And every time he comes here, he's a real piece of shit. And I'm like, I thought he was nice. I'm really I'm really confused as to why this is. And then it occurred to me that it was literally the things that I had chosen that made him like me. And and knowing that this game seems to be threading the needle between like it's telling a really compelling interesting story all the writing is great all the character work is great but also any decision i make could make for a completely different great story really shows i think why games like this need to continue to exist like why yeah these kind of it's definitely not smaller scale because it's you know again a beautifully beautifully illustrated video game that i'm sure took tons of work and tons of writing work and like I, I can't even imagine the like mountains you need to move to make a game like this. Um, Cause even the audio design when you're out in spaces and there's like bleeding sheep all over the place, you know, like <laughs> it really actually does add to a sense of place. But alongside of that, I think knowing that this game kind of has pulled in the reins of something like a fallout new Vegas or, you know, other Bethesda works or even the outer worlds, which was another big obsidian game that you and I played yeah. uh, like a year or two ago, those games run into like the same bugs that we talked about in, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet and things like that, that when the narrative is hitting a lot of highs and the game starts to break, it will pull you out of the story in a way that this game just like can't like that. That can't happen in Pentiment. Yeah, I honestly I remember Outer Worlds came out the same around the same time that Disco Elysium did in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if Disco Elysium kind of inspired Obsidian to pull it back even further, because I feel like Outer Worlds almost felt like a retort to Bethesda. Yeah, because I feel like it was like very much what if Obsidian made their own fallout but can you make a game that is actually pretty small feel like a huge open fallout or skyrim right density instead of scale yeah yeah i really like that game it has it has its flaws but i think like obsidian has always been so interested and so good at dialogue and at dialogue being the driving force and like the reason Fallout New Vegas still has the fandom it does today is because that game has never ending role playing options like every possible quest in that game and every moment has so many angles you can come in at it and dialogue to back it up but like you said then you also run into the same three npcs all doing the same walking motion and like you know i think at this point new vegas and that era of, of bethesda obsidian stuff like that is almost part of the experience yes in in sort of a historical sense but like i think obsidian really focusing on what they do well and having a game that is designed around that not just having it be another element of the game but actually be the game itself is a great move for them as a company yeah and i i kind of go a little bit back and forth on this so it's worth mentioning also that the the director of this game uh was also the director of new vegas and also the pillars of eternity games so like definitely oh, yeah definitely like a strong focus in this kind of storytelling and this kind of like choice in video games and i like the idea of of him and this company taking a step back and saying like let's get the basics down right in a, in a real way like it almost makes me wish that bioware would do something like this in a way like yeah. like a smaller scale project that's like let's let's really 
reteach ourselves how to make a compelling story with like interesting choices. But he's gone on the record. I saw an interview where he, he went on the record as saying like, if Game Pass didn't exist, this game wouldn't exist. Like he he would never have pitched this game were it not for the fact that Game Pass allows for the structure to have smaller experiences like this thrive. Because my my initial read on this game when I started playing it on my Xbox on my TV was like, man, I really wish this was on the Switch. And it never can be because it's like a Microsoft game studio or sorry, an Xbox Game Studios title. I am now playing it on the Steam Deck through xCloud, <laughs> to be clear. And uh, gotcha. It's really fucking good. Hell yeah. But now knowing that like this game wouldn't have existed were it not for Game Pass, I think is really interesting and kind of opens the door to maybe a larger idea of like what the what kinds of games Game Pass wants to have. And I, I think we've talked about this a lot in the past, but this idea of like, yeah, these smaller scale titles, you can pump out a lot of them and every once in a while you're going to have a game like Pentiment that's going to be like maybe not a smash hit but at least like a critical darling and actually this game isn't even a critical darling some people really don't like this game but other people are like it's a 10 out of 10 masterpiece yeah it's divisive yeah not that reviews are an ultimatum they're obviously you know Mm -hmm. they are what they are but IGN gave it a 10 and I think other sites gave it like much lower so it's kind of all over the place it is all over the place um but that's kind of the beauty of Game Pass, right? Is like there are just a bunch of weird experiences that you can download and check out for the cost of that uh, of that service. Uh, and every once in a while, you're going to have a thing like Pentiment. And that's awesome. But I, I mean, I, I have a lot more that I could say about this, but I kind of don't want to for fear of spoiling things. Um, I will just say that like like I, I think I said this about Kentucky Red Zero in our episode about it. But like Kentucky Red Zero, I recommend kind of treating it like a book, like sit down with it pour yourself a glass of something and (laughs) just like spend a night with it, you know, as you would with a book um, and, and read it until you kind of get drowsy and then go to sleep and do it the next day. That's how I've been playing it. And it's been really rewarding to be like, I, I will play like quote unquote, a couple chapters of this and then go to sleep. It's brilliant. Yeah. I have it downloaded. I've I've been meaning to play it. I definitely will now, but Fikoko stole my time and attention. That was my, that's my problem too. Yeah. Um, I do wonder, actually, I'm just going to Google this while we're, while we're talking. Uh, I'm wondering how long it is because I think that it's about 12 hours. That's what I want. Yeah. Every game should be 12 hours. That's my new demand. (laughs) Except Persona. Mm -hmm. Persona can be a hundred (laughs) hours. Persona can take all the hours that every other game is losing by being 12 hours. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. Um, That's Pentiment. It's available on Xbox and Windows and apparently Steam. And that's great. Oh, yeah. I would I would recommend it. I do wish hugely. I really wish that I could play this on my browser. Like I wish that I could do Game Pass like on my browser and that it used mouse and keyboard because there are games that use mouse and keyboard through the browser for xCloud currently and i and i really want them to add that to this game uh, because i would love to play this like on my mac just streaming i think that'd be really nice yeah that'd be awesome well i'm really excited to check it out uh this sounds wonderful i think i think based on what you're saying i'll probably enjoy it because I've, I've really liked a lot of obsidian stuff i think you'll love the characters i think you'll love the world a lot i think it remains to be seen how people feel about like the big story twist like when the when the game's genre kind of uh rears its head i think some people are like oh i actually just kind of like living in this space and like exploring this world um I might have already said too much. Actually, I don't think I did. It's interesting. It's when interesting. you go to the beach with the lizard scale and then you wake up and no one recognizes you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When it becomes the, uh, a fully VR title um, <laughs> set in the outer worlds, when it, when it turns out that it's an outer world sequel in disguise. Do you ever have that? F- there, there have been a few pieces of media where I see a reveal coming and I feel sick and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't commit to that. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. The yeah. last time I felt that way was Crystal Skull, actually. If I recall correctly. Yeah. 
yeah. When you when you see the crystal skull for the first time, and you're like, no, thank yeah. you. No, 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 don't no. go. And then, <laughs> don't and then, do that. <laughs> then the UFO comes up, and you're yeah. like, oh man. Uh, I will say no UFOs in Pentiment. That's not cool. That's not what I'm talking about. And I I do like the genre that it commits to. To be clear, nice. I do like what it turns into. I just wasn't expecting it. Hell yeah. I thought I thought it was a much more like personal kind of like you're just hanging out as this guy story. Uh, and it's something a little bit different. Well, maybe we'll uh, bring it back when I play it. Or I imagine it will probably come up around the goatee season as well, based on what you're saying. Yeah, I will see. We'll see. Right now, I don't think it's in my top 10. And I think slowly but surely, the more I play it, the, the, the more it will seed itself up there. Yeah, it's this year has been so eventful that like honestly i mean 10 is always a hard number to fit every game we love into but this year is especially difficult yeah Uh, i think i've said to you before like eight has top five energy whatever that means to you that's what this year (laughs) is yeah uh so uh yeah i'm looking forward to that though cool all right that's pentiment you want to take a break and come back and talk about one more game one more game game. one last game and then i'm free okay cool sounds good no more gaming then no more no more gaming see you later bye-bye brendan hey as you forecasted we have one more game which i'm very excited about i know you've played it sometimes this happens where i will kind of relentlessly message you about a game not even in like a you should play this way but just sharing my experience or things i think are funny and then you'll like suddenly surprise me that you also bought it and are about as far as i am uh, and that's that's what happened with this <laughs> yeah you know what this one was uh well i we should say what the game is it's tactics ogre reborn it's uh, tactics ogre reborn which yeah. is a remake of tactics ogre let us cling together yes that was the original title which came out for the playstation one and then later the psp yeah i think it was i think it was the super nintendo in japan and then the ps1 and then the psp like it it keeps getting re-released over and over and over again which is very interesting but i think the ps1 version was the first one that we saw in the states we got the playstation one and then the psp in like 2010 i think so there really isn't like even still uh like the reviews of reborn have been positive but it seems like there's still no like clear consensus on what like the version is Mm -hmm. however i'm really glad it got released on switch and all modern consoles because like who has a psp you know at least i don't i do have a vita you do have a vita (laughs) which is a psp also it's harder to get a psp now than it has been that's true uh in 2010 so i'm glad this game's available because i i've heard about this series for a very long time i think you played the one on game boy advance when we were doing that episode i did yeah i uh i liked it enough didn't love it this kind of game this kind of tactics game is like not exactly my favorite in the world um despite me trying over and over again kind of like me with jrpgs back in the day like i i am always trying to get into this kind of stuff final fantasy tactics i think being a big example triangle strategy obviously the most recent example but uh tactics ogre people are like really all about and it turns out that the game boy advance one is not the one that people are referring to it is this one <laughs> it is this one yeah this is like so playing this game 30 seconds in i realize oh this is what triangle strategy is trying to evoke more than anything else Mm -hmm. like really like i knew it was like a shout out to final fantasy tactics which i played and and those types of games a little bit of fire emblem but like above those two even triangles dreams of tactics ogre let us cling together this is also directed and written by the same person who worked on the first final fantasy tactics as well as i believe he led development of 12 before that got shuffled around so yeah. like evilise energy in a big way but like the dark fantasy of evilise not the 
we're on summer break talking to moogles in tactics advance and right or like final fantasy 14 yeah (laughs) kind of kind of has this like we're all just hanging out isn't this place so pretty yeah 14 Uh, has is a bit of a middle ground but yeah most of it is like high fantasy vibes and fashion yeah this guy's name is uh yasumi matsuno who i think is is also best known for people who are like deep in jrpg history uh is best known for vagrant story being yes that's been on my backlog for forever i really want to play that so this game has the tone of final fantasy tactics it's very if you are a fan of games that have an opening that a map and someone just names fictional countries at you i feel like this is like the game for like big tactics fans like this is the one that i've always heard about i've always wanted to play came out on switch and i'm like this feels at the time so i got Mm -hmm. it i really love it i think it's really great honestly i'm usually also not like I liked Triangle Strategy. I, I'm also my hottest take is that I didn't love the first Final Fantasy Tactics. I found it to be like really hard to play. Not even in difficulty, but just like it was so unpleasant to play. Like the first match, all you can do is throw a rock for like 40 minutes, <laughs> and then like you can't save for hours. That one, I believe the PSP remake of that game is like the way to play it. So I've been wanting to go back and and I've had a lot of people reach out to me saying, like, you should really give that another chance. And I I trust that. But I I honestly really liked tactics advance i like tactics advance like the tone of it it was much more pleasant i loved the presentation um and that's all subjective obviously so like i was prepared to feel similarly about tactics ogre as i did the first final fantasy tactics but this is working way better for me for whatever reason Mm. i honestly think the dialogue is great this game really (laughs) really wants to be shakespeare like every scene is like would it be for your horse's ass could you fall twice before and it's like I i trust these are good insults but i don't really know um (laughs) this game is pretty gripping narratively at least i found it to be it essentially begins in this you know war-torn continent with this very like calm before the storm temporary peace yeah and you play as this group of children who essentially like lost their whole hometown the last time war struck this nation. And this is the way the tutorial begins, where it's like you play as one character uh, and then it's his sister and his best friend who's kind of a hothead. And essentially like the three of them all have their own strong perspective on like, should we even be trying to fight here? Like, yeah. should we just be like hiding? Because they're essentially like enemies approaching their town and your friends like, let's let's pincer them like you go behind. So in this tutorial, you're getting to play which is great because Final Fantasy Tactics didn't want you to play for two hours. Uh, you're getting to play, um, although your sister and your friend, they're guest characters, so they're controlled by AI. Mm-hmm. But you are already being taught like, OK, this game is considering pincer attacks. It's about positioning. And you're also getting a sense of character where you kind of know exactly who these three kids are in the tutorial of the battle. Yeah. And it turns out the enemy is your it's it's the game constantly uses battling as storytelling opportunities, which I really love. Like the pincer attack, you fight the guy and like it doesn't do anything. And they're all like, who are, who are you kids? Like, why are you trying to pick a fight with us? <laughs> and it's quickly revealed that they're probably not your enemy. And in fact, they could be your allies. And the game also lets you choose your own dialogue options, which I like. So you can be like cautious still. Like I, I, that's actually what I did because everyone was dropping their guard real quick. And I'm like, we still don't know who they are. Right. <laughs> uh, and then the guy who is, yes, named Lancelot is like, right. I swear my honor as a knight. I mean, you no harm. Yeah. I also picked that dialogue option, by the way, because the whole thing is that you're trying to fight a guy who is also named Lancelot. It's a different Lancelot yes, who is evil. <laughs> so this guy shows up and is like, you're right my name is lancelot and i was like he could be lying 
which yeah. is why I was still cautious. It turns out that you're you're kind of like Pentiment. Your dialogue choices really do matter a lot in this game um, in a yeah. way that is not really telegraphed, I think, uh, to the player until your choices matter later, it seems like. It begins like you actually before the game even starts, you do a tarot reading, which that's probably what sealed the deal for me. You do a tarot <laughs> reading of like, what is your biggest weakness? Like, what would you do in this hypothetical situation? Which goddess do you worship? Mm-hmm. And... I don't know what that does yet, but it really does kind of put you in the headspace of like, okay, this game is all about difficult choices. Yeah. Even in the battles. Like there's permadeath in the sense of like there are a few like lead characters and then the rest of your team are like kind of randomly generated. You can like and, hire them at taverns and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which which is cool. Um and there's so much customization with the characters. And I honestly really love the tactics part of it. It has a similar problem to all these types of games where matches just take forever yeah um there is a fast forward option but it's like not that much faster uh it's like like 1.5 faster which yeah is nice because you can just keep that on and it's like pretty like okay it's a little faster but i can still see what's happening that's what i've been doing yeah but i mean there's so much like there are a million classes to choose from you can reclass all your party members they learn skills and you can choose like what skills they have and there are really interesting abilities already where like some characters have the ability to try to recruit like, okay, this person can try to talk to a human enemy and have them join your side. Oh, cool. I, I believe your dialogue and your convictions, similar to triangle strategy, influence also who ends up joining you. So like you're getting the randomly generated characters, but you're also getting like as you play like lead characters. So yeah. I'm not sure if this is for everyone, but like of the sort of fellowship you meet in the beginning with good Lancelot, there are a number of different members. So there's like, you know, a stoic priest there's the charming knight and then there's sort of the playboy with wings who Mm -hmm. i immediately loved and i got him so i'm not sure if that's like for everyone or if that was just for me uh (laughs) but uh even still like i also like the way the game tutorializes things because like essentially in the beginning you still can only play as as the kid and your new friends you know lancelot and his crew are just wrecking and they're like hey if you want to use potions this is how to do it. And then like, you know, they're just doing their thing and you're learning, but like, it's fun. Like I enjoyed this way more than the, the battle I just had to watch with no explanation in the first final fantasy tactics. Mm. And now they've kind of given me like full control. I I'm able to like train my team and customize. And I really like, again, like your hothead friend, you can't control him. He's constantly running into battle and like dying. Basically. His his name is literally vice, by the way. <laughs> I was like, this is so on the nose for this allegorical. Kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm like, okay, like they're already setting him up as like someone who is not properly like gauging the scenario and is a little bit, uh, you know, head first, but like in a way that's maybe concerning. Yeah. Whereas your sister is much more pragmatic and cautious and, you know, smart. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's cool to see like how they both function in combat. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of countries being named and a lot of politics. And what I appreciate though, is as, as serious as the game is taking itself, it also has fun with the gamey parts of it. Like whenever you beat a battle, there's like audience applause. Yeah. Whenever somebody joins your, team there's also an audience applause which i'm obsessed yeah with. it's so and funny. like i just did a battle where there's like a bunch of skeletons walking around and the cleric is like who are these demons beyond the grave so like <laughs> it's a nice balance of like i'm actually enjoying the story but there's enough camp that i'm also enjoying it as well yeah i um okay bear with me <laughs> 
I, I I won't be heartbroken if you're not enjoying it because this is a case. No, where... no, no, I am enjoying okay, it. Okay, good, good. To be clear, I, I I'll level set with that. I, yeah. I am enjoying it, but bear with me. Yes. One of the games I was most excited to pick up, I think about two years ago, maybe maybe even it was last year, I'm not sure, was Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. With <laughs> DBZ Kakarot is a game that is a retelling of like the early seasons of Dragon Ball Z as maybe kind of for the first time ever for this franchise, at least like a full role playing game. Like you are Goku and you are going through his entire story from point A to point B. I was so interested in that. They yeah. added all this DLC that was like stuff from Dragon Ball Super. Um, they kept adding like more arcs to the it had game. Great marketing. It was like one of the best marketing. Had great marketing. S- seemed like a really good idea. It was like you are going to live his life. You're going to run around. You're going to go fishing. You're going to fly on on the on the Nimbus cloud. You're going to like do everything that Goku did. Because I I feel like that's a thing. Kind of like people wanting an open world Pokemon game. People have wanted a more like RPG centric Dragon Ball Z game for a long time. Me included. Big DBZ fan over here. I don't think... It- I will say that weird DS Dragon Ball RPG with uh, Krillin, yes. Yamcha, and uh, Tien. Yeah. Surprisingly good. Surprisingly good. Yeah. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, that was a weird game. Yeah. Um, anyway, that game came out and got pretty mixed reviews. And I was like, I'm going to wait for this to go on sale. And I and one of my coworkers, Alex, will give you a shout out if you're listening. Alex and I were constantly updating one another on Slack when the price would drop. And both of us were like, when it's under $25, we will both buy it and we will check it out. Eventually, like six to eight months later, it was like deeply on sale, deeply discounted. It was under $25. I bought it. I loaded it up. And before I did anything, the first thing the game showed me (laughs) was this big full screen image of an Xbox... controller with little lines pointing to every single button and then a bulleted list under each of those lines of what all of these buttons did like every single button combination every single action that a game yeah that that a button could do hypothetically was all listed at once and then it went away never to be seen again and was like you remember all that right you're good (laughs) okay go play the game you have to fight piccolo now Good luck. And I could not. And I did not continue playing that game. And I do want to go back to it. This is this is not an indictment of DBZ Kakarot, but it is like one of my least favorite kinds of tutorials. Yeah, um, it's not a good tutorial. It's just not good. It's not even a tutorial. It's it's just like the insert that should have been in the physical copy of the video game <laughs> but presented <laughs> on screen. I think about that tutorial a lot. And Tactics Ogre reborn unfortunately i think it doesn't do the same thing but it falls under a similar guise for me because that scene that you're talking about which i i like the audacity of to launch you into combat with all of your new friends and they just continue to like mop the floor with all of the enemies while before doing so will literally say out loud like the in-game mechanic that they're about to do was really interesting but also none of it was really applied to memory and if i didn't already have the knowledge of this kind of game and how to play this kind of game i think it all would have gone way over my head in the exact same way a lot of the like the the um political strife is going over my head like i i understand that there are multiple factions at war here but i don't really know who's part of what faction or what's really happening so that's just like a lot of information that you're bombarded with right off the top and that always puts a bad taste in my mouth and it's i i think not a great way of starting a video game that having been said after that battle you are essentially trying to save a duke who has a shitload of money and starts to like fund you and your friends uh and and hires your new friends as mercenaries and like cool everyone's getting paid everyone has work now you're like out on the war front and just like going and doing jobs immediately loved the game like th- some something about 
that switch from like tutorial yeah. into actual gameplay i was suddenly sold on who all these characters were i was suddenly sold on what was happening like politically continentally i i was I, i'm in on it and i think it's really great i just i have the same problem as you were like the battles do take a really long time so for me i just picked this game up last night to be clear so i'm only like an hour and a half two hours in maybe i have done two battles total because every time i'm done with one i'm like wiped like mentally i'm like <laughs> oh shit i, I have to yeah. put this down for a little bit and i know that this is gonna be a big long game but the art direction is great same character yeah. designer who went on to do final fantasy 12 alongside matsuno um which is great and vagrant story and things like that so you have this like these really beautiful character portraits which have all been up and look great on the switch the actual like storytelling does feel a little bit like a kind of final fantasy adjacent story um which i like uh but kind of gets into um it reminds me a lot of Radiant Historia, um, yeah, that where that energy. game also just bombards you with facts right off the top <laughs> and mechanics. And it's like, you can travel back in time, but only to places you've already been. And if you go back and you change something, then you can uh, experience how that goes until eventually, if you made the wrong choice, you will die. And then you'll have to go back and you'll have to do it again. But you can also go back and play every single storyline and keep all your experience from all of those different storylines. And also, there's a huge geopolitical conflict that's happening. And we're going to tell you the name of every single city, state, and every single city, and every general, and every place. It's like that thing in... Uh, is it the Iliad or the Odyssey where there's like a whole chapter of every boat and also yeah. every captain of every boat? Um, and like, it's just a list. Like that's what Radiant Historia feels like for the first like hour. And then it becomes great. Like eventually they sell you on that idea. Eventually yeah. you're like, Oh, I'm actually glad I know all this stuff. And I'm very, I'm fascinated by it. Um, and seeing it play out in like human ways is where I think gets the most interesting. Right. Yeah. The, the scenes in like hallways where an assassin shows up and tries to kill somebody in Radiant Historia, are, like the most interesting parts. And this game has that which I think is one of its strong suits. I think, you know, establishing those three base characters right off the top and saying like, these are kind of, this is your like litmus for the kinds of people that can exist in this world. And then introducing you to more nuanced and more complex people was a really smart decision. And seeing how that plays out in gameplay is also really fun. It feels intentional that it's similar to the hobbits in Lord of the Rings where like, mm. There's all this stuff happening and there's all the all this like knowledge that we as a reader or a view, viewer don't have. Yeah. But neither do the hobbits. And this game, like we're playing the, the main party is those three kids who don't really have a full understanding of anything either. Yeah. So I kind of it kind of works that like us and these three kids are just like, yeah, like, take your word for it, I guess. Like you're going to pay me. That's cool. Like it's sort yeah, of war, like war is bad. Yeah, true. <laughs> what I know about this game <laughs> is that the decisions as you get further in are pretty gut wrenching. Oh, um, so I think it, it gets into sort of like Mass Effect territory where like there are some really, really hard decisions. And I imagine, you know, similar to Triangle Strategy really wanted to like present every situation as morally gray. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes the decisions were just like, do you want to do the bad thing or try not to? It's like, of course, I'm going to try <laughs> right. not to. You yeah. know, so this game already has pretty snappy dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it even though there's a lot of, you know, glossary terms being thrown at you, like I I kind of trust the writing a bit more to present those choices with more nuance. But, you know, I think there's also like this is the style of fantasy that I would say is like Game of Thrones ish. Where like, yeah, I normally don't gravitate towards that. Same. Not that I need everything to be bright and cheerful, but I just I just like high fantasy. Yeah, 
I like the transportive elements of it. I don't need a fantasy game to be bureaucratic and gray <laughs> to enjoy it. But I do think that this game has enough fantasy to it that like it is it still has those elements. It's like there's yeah. goddesses and guys with wings and skeletons and like that helps me because I feel like Triangle Strategy kind of lost me a little bit because it didn't really have a lot of whimsy to it. It was like so purposely muted that eventually just started to bum me out. Whereas this game has just enough, at least early on, I imagine it will get darker as I go, but like there's enough whimsy of the Ivalice style setting that like it's a nice balance. Yeah, I, I think one of the things about this game that maybe rubs me the wrong way, it's I said this before we started recording, but like it breaks a lot of my rules about fantasy games that I enjoy. Let's hear them. I want to hear the rules. Yeah. One, one of the rules specifically is like there is no there is no sense of peace or calm or like. an an ideal thing that i'm trying to go back to when you're launched into this game it's literally like the three kids sitting in this cabin saying like there's a war outside and we're going to continue fighting the war and then you're just like launched into it and that's after the opening cutscene where you're like introduced to every country and i i would like some sense of like some sense of what i'm truly fighting for in a way like you don't even know in the beginning like are you are you the bad like you might be the bad guys and we just don't know yet you know Um, that's one thing i I think in particular but also i think just like a slow ramp into teaching me these things is is a thing that i'm always looking for like i i am okay with learning the names of every country and why the fighting is happening but teach me in a way that feels like actual storytelling and not like an exposition dump before I've even started the video game. Cause yeah. that, that cutscene <laughs> that you and I are talking about is the in- intro cinematic before you hit the title screen. It then plays again when you start the game, but like that's the first thing they want you to experience in the game, which is I, to be perfectly frank for me, at least in my opinion, a failure. It's a failure. If the first thing you need for me to be invested in your world is an exposition dump of how the entire geopolitical front is playing out. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't need that at the top, but I do need that eventually. And you can slow drip it in a way that will make me resonate with it emotionally, Um, which is not what's happening yet. But I imagine will happen the more I'm embedded in it over time. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is what this game wants. That's what these games are looking for. They're like, oh, you'll get it eventually. But what if I got it in the right way? <laughs> like, what if, what, what if I got it in a way that was, like, good storytelling? Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, I know I'm a broken record, but I, I think Three Houses does a remarkable job at, like, giving you a slow burn of, like, where these characters come from and, like, what has informed their upbringing. And, like, by yeah. the end of that game, like, yes, the main story has, like bananas stuff going on that you may never fully understand but the actual like i can tell you a lot about the addressing empire and the lester alliance and the yeah. kingdom of fargus still me too you know yeah and like i think part of that is that the identity of those places isn't just told to you but like you see it in the action of the characters right and even down what- to like that game opening with you as a mercenary removed from the conflict entirely just like literally taking money as a sellsword yeah and like going and doing things and then running into three kids who rep- who are represented by the tertiary colors or sorry the primary colors yeah just like running up and being like i'm all about honor i'm all about being a fascist and i'm all about being tricky <laughs> it's like oh okay 
that's actually a right. great introduction to those three areas of yeah, the Yeah, the characteristics, <laughs> the, the flaws and accomplishments of all three of those characters are mirrored by the place they come from. Yes. You know, I mean, King, Kingdom of Fargus is a, is a orderly place haunted by its own past. Right. The Lester Alliance is like this seemingly friendly ensemble that's full of like backstabbing and, and tricks. Mm-hmm. And the Adrestian Empire is like all about ambition and, you know, uh, the price that can that can ask for yeah and then you end up at the monastery and then they have you introduce yourself and talk to each of the individual members of each individual class and then you get a better idea of who these characters are and then you decide just like a gut feeling which one you like and then you start to make your way and embed yourself into those spaces and that's that's good story that's good exposition you know and i i trust this game will have a version of that as we play like i imagine i'm gonna learn more about this cool guy with wings and like mm-hmm. what his deal is yeah. and i think like i trust it, it'll get there also i'm with you yeah but i i totally agree with you that like i feel like the dump of exposition over a picture of a map is like a love or hate thing i feel like it's yeah. like totally just like overall i agree i don't think it's a it's an effective way to to get me to learn at all um, especially in a game like specifically in a game where like ideally everything we're learning is through gameplay yeah. you know like so much as i love a good cutscene, i love final fantasy i love uh you know death stranding but like usually the best moments are are ones where we are in control ideally mm-hmm. and you know if there is a cutscene, it should be for a very specific reason where we don't have control yeah and what does that mean yeah so anyway this game is really fun and also the thing about tactics games is like there's a whole side of the audience of these games that is just playing for the gameplay element you know like as much as this game i think is known for its really great narrative there are people who play fire emblem solely for you know like rpg chess and there are people who play you know i I think you're missing out if you only engage in that half but i understand that the appeal for a lot of people is purely mechanical yeah yeah you and and this game does have both in spades like yeah i to be clear, I'm being very hard on the opening, but I, I am bought into the story and the characters at this point where I'm at, which is, again, only like an hour and a half to two hours in. So it's really not that long that you'll need to spend like bashing your head against a plank of wood before it breaks. And then there's a beautiful verdant field on the other side. Yeah, the, the good the good thing about the tutorial is that simultaneously, while they dump a lot on you at once, they also give you all the options right away. So like yeah. there there is a case, I, I think like, a good example of at least mechanically tutorializing things slowly over time and giving you more and more options. And then when you finally have everything, it's not overwhelming is I would say Xenoblade Chronicles three where like that game. Yes. If they gave you full combat options right away, it would be complete nonsense and often still looks like nonsense, (laughs) even though I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But that game so expertly paces out like, okay, now you can do this and now you can do this. And it's always exciting. Um, The only time it's overwhelming is when they give you the weird spreadsheet of like, so-and-so feels indifferently about this NPC. It's like, why do I have this? But uh, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it just, because so, I feel like there's so many like gut-wrenching cutscenes of that game. And then someone will be like, so-and-so's relationship has changed. I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, I will definitely play more of this game. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll report back if I have anything more to say. Um, but it's, I'm, I'm glad I feel like this has been the missing piece for me for so long of like being a fan of tactics games, but having not played tactics ogre now i have and i uh i'm excited to see more of it yeah and it it is the more i play reframing my thoughts or at least like validating and giving a lot of um filling out some detail about my thoughts about triangle strategy um which is a game that i really wanted to like and obviously have not brought to the show again since we first did because it 
kind of fell out of favor in my eyes. Yeah, um, I, I think Triangle Strategy had some really great ideas. I, I actually talked about it recently on Asynchronous with our friends and colleagues, AJ and Kim, because they were they were playing it and I talked about it with them and I yeah. revisited it for the first time in a while. And like that game just has such a lopsided ratio of like gameplay to cutscenes. Yeah. That like my main complaint with that game is like it doesn't let you play it. Like there's so many like truly I sat through 45 minutes of cutscenes before I was able to play a new match and I was only able to play because I chose the optional like practice battle just to remind myself what it was like yeah the next phase was an exploration phase so like <laughs> god like i in that game like had a fairly interesting story but like not enough to warrant that much like i <laughs> the lord of the rings movies aren't even that long like collectively <laughs> So anyway, excited to play more of Tactics Ogre. It's it's also like as dramatic as it is, it's also kind of fun to have a game where I'm like, let me get in a battle. Like I know it'll be a half hour to an hour. That's like maybe all I have time for tonight. Yeah. I know it'll be fun. It's kind of nice to have that as like just a little like check in almost. Yeah, you can also yeah, you can go to any place that you've already cleared out also, especially like after you've brought new people into your party or whatever, you can go to any space you've already cleared out and then like redo the battle as like a training sequence with whoever yeah. you've recently recruited, which I think is really fun. Uh, especially for like getting to know what those characters are good and bad at early on. W one big thing for me, it, th this is kind of the last note that I had written down, at least for this game is like when I finished my first battle sequence, like the first one that you really do yourself and they introduce you the idea of like shopping and changing classes and getting new skills and things. It's just like way too much at once, kind of in the same way that the exposition is a little bit too much at once being like, here's a shop with literally 40 items in it. <laughs> after the very first mission that you've done was like way too daunting for me i'm like i don't even know what these characters are good at i don't even know how to equip things but you're giving me all this like character customization option the duke is like here's a shitload of money go stock up on stuff goth. i was like goth is the money which yeah I love. and i was just like i don't even know i don't know what to spend this on like i, I have so much choice yeah. i don't know what to do and i think again it's one of those situations where like over time i will eventually learn the ins and outs of this but it's a lot of stuff to poke around and i understand why this worked really well in like the super nintendo ps1 era but it, it feels like we've learned a lot of lessons since then uh, so it's just like kind yeah. of going back in time in terms of like game design and and just needing to kind of overcome those obstacles to find the thing that's yeah. enjoyable which there's a lot of enjoyable stuff here and that's what i want to do with with final fantasy tactics one which believe it or not is even more like hard to get through in the beginning but again i trust people's enthusiasm for that game and it, it is a game that like is a genre that i like so mm -hmm. one day one day i'll fully understand evil ace i'll play vagrant story as well i'll be unstoppable yeah, yeah. vagrant story is uh we'll see one day one day we'll get there it's fun having goals and ambitions <laughs> just like edelgard i want to see the biggest pokemon <laughs> how big is this crab anyway too big do you want to wrap up sure hey thank you so much for listening into the cast that online is forever our hub for everything if you like the show, the best way to help it grow is honestly just word of mouth. Truly, uh, you know, evaluating what our best promo tool is in a possibly <laughs> post Twitter landscape. Yeah, it's still word of mouth. Uh, if you like the show, share it with a friend. All that really, really does help. We find most people discover it just by shout outs and stuff like that. Yeah, you can still find us on Twitter. I think we're going to keep it active for the time being. We also just made a Tumblr also into the cast. And we also now have a nice handle for our YouTube page, which is 
is also at Into the Cast, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. Uh, you can also find our Patreon at Into the Cast at online. If you back the show for a dollar, you get access to all our patron bonuses. This month is going to be a commentary over the film Advent Children, <laughs> which I'm very excited to make. Uh, you have finished Final Fantasy VII for our bonus for everybody. I did. I'm, I am so proud of you. Yeah. Good video game. It's pretty good. Uh, if you want to hear us say a version of that sentence for multiple hours, that is <laughs> that is arriving on your timeline soon. Um, anything else? Anything else we should uh, be announcing here? No, no. I, th- I think, yeah, t- Tumblr is, uh, I think, slowly becoming our hub. Um, yeah. So if you're on Tumblr, cool. I think one of the things we were talking about right before we started recording, or maybe during one of the breaks or something, is the idea of having a mastodon account and then like cross-posting between that and twitter so the twitter might remain active but i am gonna try and make it as automated as possible uh adding one more bot to elon's service is uh <laughs> i think a public good so yeah i think that's uh I, th- I think that might be in the cards so uh outside of that i just want to give a quick shout out also to everybody who subscribed to the youtube channel recently i, I did a quick shout out that was like hey we're close to a thousand and uh then a lot of people turned up like real quick and bumped us way over a thousand like within minutes um so thank you all to everybody uh thank who, you who followed the youtube account uh we have a lot of stuff going on there i'm still doing shovel night all the time um i've gotten really busy recently but i want to get back to doing that you did a stream of pokemon scarlet i did a video about pokemon violet those can be found there and uh, if you back the Patreon, you can also get access to my Let's Play of God of War Ragnarok, which I'm still trucking along with. Um, you and I have talked about maybe doing a bonus about that game in January, which I, I would like to do. Uh, I'll just I'll shout that out at the end of this. Yeah, I, I, I don't know fully what our I feel like post Goaty will make sense of everything. There's a lot of things we want to get in order after that comes out. So mm-hmm. not even thinking about January, thinking about next month, baby. All right. But uh, that, I think I think that's likely. I think we'll probably at least have an episode about that game, whether it's like a bonus or a spoiler episode. There'll there'll be more discussion. I'm gonna want to talk about spoilers for that game. Yeah, cool. Well, that's basically it. Uh, Goaty is coming up. If you want to join the Discord, we will be doing uh, per usual. We've done this every year since we've had a Discord. Uh, we'll be doing a poll for like the Discord's game of the year. We share the results on the Goaty episode. I think there also is going to be a channel for people just to share their own list. So independent of what gets the most votes, there will be a lot of discussion there. So another shout out to the Discord as well. Yeah, cool. All right. That's everything. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me at brendanbigley.com. My name is Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger and at Stephen Hilger Art. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. I'm going to go catch a Pokemon. Foy Coco. I wish. <laughs> Quaxly. Garbage. The online.